Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome host of the Brooklyn Buzz, a Brooklyn Nets podcast, and founder of the Off the Glass Basketball Network, Nick Faye. This is a must-listen-to episode if you're a fan of the Brooklyn Nets. We break down the entire Kyrie Irving situation, why the Nets were so hated in the NBA, will the Nets ever be the number one team in New York, and a lot more. So enjoy this chat with Nick Faye. He is the host of the Brooklyn Buzz, a Brooklyn Brooklyn Nets podcast. I don't know why I can't say Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and founder of the Off the Glass Basketball Network. We have the pleasure and honor in welcoming Nick Faye onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Nick? What's up, guys? Pleasure to be here. You guys have been killing it lately. Ton of great guests. Happy to be part of the list, you know, just to kind of get on the show, make my first appearance. Uh, appreciate it, Nick. We wanted to have you on just for your overall NBA knowledge and, you know, you specialize in Brooklyn. So we're going to chop it up with you. <laughs> just to dissect everything about the Nets because it's been quite just a, a whirlwind within the, the last two years or so from the pandemic, the roster, Kevin's foot, uh, Kevin Durant's foot on the line, um, Kyrie Irving, just so much um, stuff to talk with you about. So first question I got for you is just, what are your feelings headed into this season? It seems like the NBA calendar is back to normal. We had this an aberration last year with the bubble, and then we're back in it, but there's no fans. And then towards the end of last season, we seemed to get full capacity in a lot of NBA arenas, and it kind of felt like what the NBA was before the pandemic hit. So what is your overall feelings headed into this season? Do you feel like from a basketball NBA perspective, everything's kind of back to normal? Or do you think there's some weirdness going on? Just in terms of the storylines in the NBA and what's your, what's your feeling like? You know, I think there's still a little bit of weirdness. Obviously, we've had a lot of the topics about vaccination and the different laws in different states and stuff like that. And obviously, that's going to kind of carry over. But like you said, it's more so back to being balanced because last year we saw certain teams kind of get the short end of the stick, be it the Celtics with all the COVID cases, you know, the Raptors having to play in a literal different country instead of their, their home arena. So I feel like, you know, things are starting to get back to normal. We're kind of starting to see more excitement around the league focused on basketball, hopefully as we kind of get closer and then just a lot of young guys, like, and I think there's a lot of good situations and, there's probably more balance at the top. Like, obviously, I think, you know, the Nets and the Lakers are probably the favorites, but still there's teams up there that can really compete. And you kind of just, just a lot of mysteries. You know, there's a lot of competition from just the playoff seeding to even the bottom tier teams. Like, are they going to take the step and get in the playing game? Or are they going to tank this season? Whatever it is. I mean, off the top of my head, there's only really a few teams tanking in comparison to a lot of different seasons. So at least to start the year, we should get a lot of competitive basketball. So let's delve in with Brooklyn starting with Durant's foot on the line and just how this team has retooled <laughs> Rip and that just, bandaid off. I, yeah, yeah, right. pain. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't feel guilty cause you're all going to be the favorite to win the title. So, I mean, <laughs> it has to be a <laughs> contention. So I don't, I don't feel too bad about that to be honest. Um, but just what is your feeling Nick in terms of, how the vibe of this team's going to be headed into this season. Cause Matt and I've talked about kind of the villain narrative because Matt, you know, follow that Miami heat team pretty closely with LeBron, Bosch and Wade. And they 
got like tons of just hate and vitriol. And I felt like with Brooklyn last year, just due to all the circumstances, they kind of were able to somewhat sidestep that compared to the heat. So coming into this season, do you feel like they're going to get that kind of Miami heat wave of this, all that, um, I don't know, just hate online? Or do you think they might sidestep that? Like, how do you feel the team is going to deal with, you know, having fans back into the stands, having to go into opposing teams arena with every team gunning for them, not only the players, but just, you know, those fans as well, because they, you know, they're, they're going to be the attraction when they're playing inferior teams. So what's kind of the vibe of, you know, this year's, you know, Nets headed into the season? Yeah, I think there's a lot of hatred <laughs> for the yeah. Nets, uh, you know, yeah. They're not, they don't have the most popular players. Obviously we have Kyrie with all the news and different things along those lines. And obviously if he doesn't play, maybe we're talking about something completely different, but in the scenario that he does play and this team is fully healthy, I think they're going to have a really dominant season and people are going to just going to hate them because you're just going to have other guys like coming off the bench and even popping off a little bit. You know, Patty Mills is going to have big moments. You're going to have LaMarcus Aldridge who came out of retirement, probably have some good games. You know, we saw a lot of backlash with Blake Griffin last year after he's bought out with the Pistons, signs with the Nets, has multiple dunks in a few games. People are kind of flipping out on the internet. So I think if the Nets are healthy and dominant, there's going to be a lot of hatred. Obviously, you know, KD's not well-liked, best player in the league, and people still won't forget about Golden State. And obviously James Harden kind of you know, trying to find a way to get to the free throw line. People never really loved that. So definitely think the three stars alone kind of had their own, you know, trolls and hatred behind them. And then I think, you know, the group being together and, you know, possibly being, you know, easily the best team in the league if healthy. I think that just kind of brings negative energy because people are honestly jealous <laughs> to them to an extent. And then also just like getting that much talent in one place, it kind of almost makes it unfair if everything works out right. Wouldn't you say, too, I mean, with the stars listed on that roster and even the guys who are now somewhat role players, I mean, they're kind of the perfect team in many ways. They've dealt with so much criticism on teams they've been with in the past. I mean, Kyrie wasn't super well liked in in Cleveland towards the end there with butting heads with LeBron and, and things like that. Controversy surrounding that KD, you mentioned Blake Griffin wasn't liked on the Clippers by the end there. I mean, I think it is a pretty battle tested roster. Um, I, I, and really, I mean, I guess the exception is arguably their MVP last year, although you could certainly say KD, but James Harden, who has the most to prove, um, I wanted to dive into the foundation of the Nets because you are so connected with the stories of that organization. Can you take us just like, we don't have to go super in detail here, but from the like KG, Paul Pierce, <laughs> getting off of that team, Russian owner, et cetera, uh, Prokhorov, uh, to hitting the reset button and doing this in a smart way. How have they been able to do that? And then later on shift gears into now we're loaded. Yeah. I mean, credit to Sean Marks. He took over this team and he had no young assets. He had no draft picks. He had no cap space and he was able to turn it into the team it is now. And he did that by just consistently making smart moves, taking small risk here and there. But it was really like, okay, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, a guy who had a lot of potential coming out of college, was coming off a torn ACL in the draft, you know, was dropped by Chicago and Detroit. Let's try him out. See what he can do. We're going to envision, put some confidence in this guy. And honestly, 
also I got to throw in Kenny Atkinson because he was so great at player development, getting the best out of some of these players that other teams kind of toss to the side. Same thing with Joe Harris. He was a first round pick by Cleveland. They picked him up, turned him into one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. Even a guy like Karis LeVert, you know, coming into the draft, had the broken foot multiple times at Michigan. You know, a lot of teams were kind of scared to draft him. Nets took the risk. They got him. He turned into a good player, kind of helped push them there. D'Angelo Russell, another guy you look at, you know, kind of tossed to the side by L.A. given that whole Nick Young incident, came to Brooklyn, was able to kind of flourish under Kenny Atkinson, unlocking different things. And I think a lot, too, is just like the culture of the Nets. Like Sean Marks is coming here, and he's really made them a respected organization. And I'll be honest, after the KG and Pierce trade and all that, they were pretty much a joke. They were laughing stock yeah. of the league. They were losing every year. They didn't have a top pick. So you're looking at it like, oh, damn, like, do I even want to take this job if you're Sean Marks? Sean Marks takes a job, doesn't, you know, amazing things. And another thing he did right from the start that I thought was very important was he realized that the Nets are not going to be able to have the best players like right off rip. We don't have the draft picks. We don't have the cap space. We don't have the attraction to sign those free agents. But what we're going to do is we're going to make our organization top class in every possible way. You know, we're going to have the best training facility in Brooklyn, you know, not, no commute. You get to see the Manhattan skyline, the rooftop, you know, a ton of crazy stuff. You know, even the medical staff, they have staff on their team, not only for like fitness, wellness, your diet and all that things. They have a guy on their staff that literally tells you like when to sleep, how much you should sleep and things along those lines. So they're taking the details of different things and trying to like push these players as far as they can in any way they possibly can. So credit to ownership too because they weren't short on spending the money and trying to push the nets to the top in the best way they could. And also another thing they really did, and this kind of caught NBA circles. And this is a big reason why I think, you know, Katie and Kyrie signed with the nets is they treated their players really, really well. And not just their players, also their family there. There's like a spot in Barclay center just for family members. When they come to the game, make sure everything is super easy for you. And players really appreciate that, especially with other organizations in the league kind of being cheap or not necessarily showing players respect you see the Nets, they're like, okay, we understand what we need to do. This is a player's league. And I think Sean Marks was a little bit ahead of the curve. And that's a big reason they're in the spot they're in. Yeah, it seems so simple in hindsight, given yep. the social media personalities that, that many of these players are. They're looking to build their own brands. They're, um, in in some cases, very individualistic yep. in that way. You know, They are their own businesses, and they've kind of built the facilities there, it sounds like for them to expand that and, and be the most successful version of that. How, how has that, so it's, it's one thing to build the the, the facilities, the infrastructure in place, but how did word spread of that? I mean, was it simply like word of mouth of how well these players were being treated? What have you heard about that? Yeah, I think it's really just word of mouth. I think players know even coming to the facility as an opposing team, like, oh, Barclay Center is nice. This is in Brooklyn. And, you know, I'm not trying to throw shade at the Knicks, but James Dolan obviously has all those incidents with former players, not necessarily known yeah. for treating his players the best. Okay, I want to go play in a big city. I want to play in New York. The Nets are going to treat me right. They're doing some good things with these young pieces. All right this is really attractive here so i think word of mouth and also sean marks is, is a clever guy he's done some like low-key things with player agents um to just kind of get guys extra money be it a guy an extra guarantee on his contract even though he's gonna get 
cut at training camp, those type of things always rub guys the right way or even buying players out right off rip. You know, when Sean Marks took over, I believe he bought out Joe Johnson pretty early in the scenario, just kind of doing anything he can to get in the good graces of players and agents. You know, I thought that was really important and something that kind of was low key and people didn't really talk about because they were smaller moves. But when it comes to the bigger picture, those things matter, especially to the big names in the NBA. It's just such an interesting juxtaposition with, you mentioned, the Knicks being there. And, I mean, Madison Square Garden is awesome, but it is dated. Um, you know, it it brings to mind, like, the Nets have built this prestige level uh, akin to, I would say, like, the 90s Yankees. Like, it, it was always a baseball player's goal. Like, you know, when they hit their prime, take, Damn like, it. Jason Giambi take eventually Johnny Damon. Like you want to land with the Yankees because that is that landmark franchise. And I think it's just brilliant the way this is where I really respect the Nets. Um, as you know, I, I may say some negative things from time to time, but in terms of a franchise, I mean, it's, it's just a brilliant example of building that prestige level in a league with a hard cap. Yeah. I mean, credit to them and Sean Marks and just the mindset he had. And like I said, he's, you know, con controlled, but at the same time, he's willing to make some aggressive moves here and there and not scared to ruffle some feathers. I mean, early on, he threw out these crazy offer sheets at some free agents that probably didn't deserve them. And that definitely upset some teams. You know, Pat Riley wasn't happy with the one for Tyler Johnson. They weren't happy with the one in Portland <laughs> with Alan Crabb and even Washington with Otto Porter. Like their moves that kind of upset some people. Sean Marks didn't really care. He's like, all right, people don't really do this. I don't care. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to push this team to the next level in any way I can. So, you know, I think the willingness from ownership and then Sean Marks willing to be creative and aggressive in different ways has really pushed this franchise forward. So, and also they, they have a lot of former staffers from San Antonio, Sean Marks being one of them. So trying to build some of that mindset, but also being a little bit more modern than the San Antonio Spurs franchise, no disrespect to them, obviously one of the greatest franchises in NBA history, but still I think they've kind of lost touch maybe a little bit over the last couple of years and they surely can get it back. But I think the Nets kind of just, did what they did and then maybe altered it just to be more current and more player based. Nick, I want to ask you the dynamic of the Knicks and Nets because it, <laughs> on one side, I agree with Matt. I think the marketing was brilliant, not only of the Nets, but the Barclays Center. It yeah. just seems like a very prestigious building. I've heard about all the issues with Madison Square Garden just in terms of insurance for other like major acts getting into that building, and Barclays Center was able to capitalize on that. And that plays into the prestige of the Brooklyn Nets in terms of just the style, their jerseys, Jay-Z. Just yep. It has a certain flair to it. At the same time, just talking to other Knicks journalists, I feel like there's only one team in New York. That's the Knicks. And I feel like the Knicks are relevant, and it's weird because – from talking, maybe it's just their bias. I don't know. That's why. That's why I want to ask you. It just seems, from a lot of just New Yorkers' perspective, even though the Nets are the favorites, the the team that's going to grab the headlines is the Knicks, just due to the relevance. And my question to you is, what is kind of the Brooklyn Nets' game plan in terms of occupying that same space as the Knicks, just due to its history? And and honestly, you know, we've seen just through the Knicks, this history in terms of their championship prowess, they don't really have that much, but yet that just plays into the fact that the Nets will never, if they can win 10 titles, I feel like the Knicks will always be number one. So I'm just wondering where does Brooklyn fit into that? Is this 
this team going to be a team for everybody except New Yorkers and in New York, that's going to belong to the Knicks. Where are they going to fit in kind of, you know, that space of New York City, you think? You know, we let Knicks fans hold on to that. You know, that's something that's really important to them that they have, you know, better fans. You know, we have the better franchise. So that's all that really matters. <laughs> I like matters. this already. Yeah. <laughs> I like um, this already. <laughs> um, but uh, realistically, no, the Knicks have more fans in New York. They've been here longer. Like they've sure. been here for literally from almost the start of the NBA. So obviously it's going to take the Nets a while to kind of take over the city. But like you kind of mentioned, yeah, they might get the New York headlines, but the Nets are getting the national headlines. And at the end of the day, that's more important. We're not competing for who's the better team in New York. We're competing for championships. That's something the Knicks are trying to do and they haven't been able to do in a very long time. So I think looking at it from that perspective, the only thing the Nets really can do is just continue to do what they're doing and win championships. And then kids growing up right now are going to be like, oh, well, I'm watching basketball. Who do I want yeah. to buy buy their jersey? Do I want a Julius Randle jersey or do I want a Kevin Durant, James Harden, or Kyrie Irving jersey? So I think also just being in the bigger spotlight, guys, you know, potentially winning MVP, you know, getting all-star nods, finals MVPs, you know, playoff moments. I think that's what's going to help with this younger generation. It's not going to be like, oh, the Nets win a championship. They're taking over in New York City. No, that's not going to be the case. It's probably going to be multiple championships, and we're not going to really see the return on it for you know 15 to 20 years because it's kind of the youth growing up. And obviously, the Knicks can com- you know compete back if they're able to kind of get their team in a contending scenario in the next couple of years. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of time. You know what I mean? It, it's just... It's like a new restaurant is in town. There's that like classic place that you always go to. Your family's been going there for you know 50 years, but then a new spot just opened up and they're going to have to kind of earn your respect. And now you have to build different memories there over the course of time. And then maybe the, by the time you have kids, that might be your family's restaurant instead of the other one. So I think it's just something that's going to eventually build over time. I don't think it's instantly going to happen. And I have no problem saying there's more Knicks fans in New York. There should be <laughs> like they've been here for a lot longer. The Nets have been here for barely a decade. So you know what I mean? Like it's, it's it's going to take time and the Nets are going to have to be um, effective in terms of winning championships and continue to get that attention. And that's really what everyone's talking about. Like we can talk about the, the New York headlines, but at the end of the day, like there's still plenty of people talking about Kyrie Irving. That's all I've heard about for the last few week. You know what I mean? The national media with the New York media. So I think there's different elements to it. And over time, I think the Nets will close the gap, but for the most part, it's going to be tough just given, you know, New York Knicks history and credit to them for that. So let's talk about Kyrie. Um, I, I, he, since you brought him up, and I guess I want to ask: Is there two kind of, um, I guess, dynamics of what is happening here, which is Kyrie and his teammates, and then the fan narrative, or do you think both of those are going to kind of collide eventually in a kind of a disaster? So what I mean is. For instance, Andrew Wiggins. It seemed like he got support from his teammates. They were cool with whatever decisions he, he was going to make. He did get vaccinated, but they seemed to support him. And I feel like with Kyrie, he seems pretty cool with his other with his teammates now. But I feel like with Kyrie, if he does end up missing all the home games and if he affects the playoff scenario, I don't know if Durant and Harden and the other players on that team are going to be cool with that. So I guess my question is, you know, I understand they have a very, you know, Kyrie is usually fairly liked with his teammates, even though he kind of gets a, you know, a negative media narrative just due to when Kyrie returned to Boston, that seemed to be pretty friendly with his former teammates, despite what happened. So I guess my question is (laughs) in this season, if he does miss a long amount of games, do you think, you know, Durant, Harden, do you think there's going to be some resentment there? Or do you think ultimately, 
kind of their friendship with them will override that. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's two different scenarios here. I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie's relationship is multiple tiers higher than Kyrie and James Harden's relationship. So I think Katie and Kyrie will always be cool. They're just boys. Okay. That's just how it is where I don't, I'm not saying that James Harden and Kyrie aren't cool, but they're not kind of on that level. And I think James Harden would be more likely to show resentment towards teammates, just given his history. And also like even last year with Deandre Jordan, like James Harden was lighting him up on the bench when he didn't play well. So like I could see James Harden being upset and he really has the most to prove in this situation. Like you guys alluded to earlier, like he needs to win a championship. The other guys have won a championship and they're more solidified in NBA history where for Harden, he's had the playoff woes. He hasn't you know, been able to attain that ring. So I could see more resentment from his side. But at the end of the day, I think the players will truly support him. What I will say, and I'm not, I'm not reporting. I don't have sources or anything like that. I would think it's less likely Kyrie Irving is on the nets the following season if he does not play, you know, play the home games this year and doesn't get vaccinated and kind of continues to be this distraction, especially when it comes to playoff time. Maybe the regular season there's the issue, but okay, I'm going to get vaccinated for the playoffs so we can win this championship. That might be able to push things over, but he's up for an extension. His contract, hey, there's a player option at the end of this year. So I think that's where things get a little bit more complicated because Joe Sy, the Nets owner, had some strong comments in terms of Kyrie Irving getting vaccinated because he's like, you know, we're all in. The goal here is to win a championship. Everyone kind of knows that. And sometimes you have to make sacrifices, even if it's pertaining to a personal choice. So, and also I think that report we just saw from Woj, in my personal opinion, I felt like that was a Nets leak. They were like, okay, we're going to apply some pressure to Kyrie Irving right here and let him know that, you know, he doesn't get to dictate what the franchise does. At the end of the day, they want to make Kevin Durant happy. You know, he's pretty much in charge of this franchise. Sean Marks runs the show, but KD pro probably gets the final say in a lot of different things. So maybe that could cause some problems. But at the end of the day, KD already signed his extension with the Nets and that's kind of wrapped up. And I know you guys will probably ask about this later. I think with Kevin Durant and James Harden, there's still a championship contender and they can still easily win a chip this year. So you know, Kyrie is needed and takes them up to possibly one of the best teams ever, but without him, they still can win a championship. So Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do remember KD and Kyrie saying that they weren't doing any media press conferences at the start of the season last year. And that I don't even think lasted a full week when push came to shove. Um, what it was just Kyrie. KD was still doing the media stuff, but Kyrie had the comment about calling the media pawns. And gotcha. you know that, yeah, I mean, to defend him and obviously, you know, I'm upset with Kyrie Irving right now. I want him to get vaccinated. I want him to play the season. But last year, you know, the media was taking some unnecessary shots at him for different things that weren't really relevant or were really true. Like Justin alluded to earlier, saying like he was a problem and, you know, Boston, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart all said, you know, positive things about Kyrie and kind of his his stint there. So I think some of that, I don't want to say it was deserved because I don't think calling people pawns is the right thing to say. But at the end of the day, I could understand why he was upset with the media last season. Yeah, I, I could certainly sympathize for that. And thank you for that clarification. Um, so here's some thoughts, like a thought on Kyrie that I want to bounce off of you. And Justin has already heard my take on this. So I'm sorry you have to hear it again. But <laughs> I, I want your thoughts on this, Nick. So I, I looked it up actually before uh, before we got on the call with you. And Kyrie played 54 games last season. The Nets altogether, I didn't look this up, but I believe in the regular season, the trio played nine games together. So there's still the potential that these guys as a trio, even if Kyrie does, you know, goes all in and does not play any home games, you could potentially have these guys at, at least more than 20 games, I think would yep. be fair, as long as they're healthy, of course. Um, 
for the regular season, let's let's leave it there because obviously missing home playoff games, yeah, that's a big deal. But with the way COVID guidance changes, who knows how that's going to be even next yep. month? Um, is this a one of the bigger non-stories that's out there with this Kyrie in terms of the Nets' regular season success? Let me frame it that way. Yeah, I don't think it's a, it's going to have a drastic impact on the regular season, given that the Nets have a lot of depth this year. Sean Marks made some great moves. But like you mentioned, I think it's also more just a distraction perspective and also mm-hmm. just like, all right, everyone else got vaccinated. This guy's not vaccinated. It's going to be a storyline. We've seen how much it's been talked about in the last week. So I think like you're saying, Matt, you know, objectively and rationally, you know, it's not necessarily the biggest deal. Like if Kyrie were to go in the season and, you know, knock on wood, I don't want anyone to get hurt, you know fractured a bone and missed four months and he only played 30 games you know it would suck but it wouldn't be that big a deal as long as he's ready for the postseason so i think in terms of actual basketball in the regular season it's not necessarily the biggest deal because i also don't think the nets really care what seed they get you know ideally they'd like to get the number one seed but last year we saw load management kind of overpowered the winning so yeah at the end of the day you know if Kyrie doesn't play and then he's good for the postseason I think that's an okay scenario I will say I wouldn't be surprised though if we see more state mandates in terms of vaccination for opposing players as well I believe we got the news from LA today that you know if you're you're coming to play there you have to be vaccinated unlike you know New York and where it was in Golden State that if you're coming to play the the Lakers or the Clippers even if you're the opposing team you need to be vaccinated so now I think the count is up to if he were not to get vaccinated and play this season he'd miss 45 games because you also cannot travel to Canada without vaccination at least it's consistent I never understood why opposing players didn't have to get vaccinated that made no sense to me (laughs) yeah at least be consistent in terms of these mandates exactly I mean that that was always kind of weird type of wording on that too and I feel like you know, maybe for the most part, it should be the entire NBA to some extent, but I understand with the players union, there's different things along those lines. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is the player's personal choice, but it, I think you also like looking at it from another perspective as well, in terms of how it could ruin the net season, or it could ruin another team season, which is not fair. Like, let's say Kyrie, you know, contracted COVID and then he passes to his team Nets lose games or lose a playoff series, or let's say he passes it to another team. And now that team is forced to forfeit a game or not have their best player for a playoff matchup where that just doesn't really seem fair. So that's where I think it kind of gets a little bit more complicated, but I don't want to turn this into a COVID podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, sure. it's complicated. It's messy. We, yeah. <laughs> we definitely, I think yeah. everyone in America hopefully can agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted your perception on the overall outlook of the league. So we have, we we've discussed this with several of our guests, but uh, you have like the Lakers seem very top heavy. The Warriors could be that way. Potentially. I hope so. I hope clay comes back. Great. I think everyone's rooting for that too. Um, the nets, I, I think are the prohibitive title favorites. Um, what's your sense of, I mean, you mentioned earlier, there is like a youth movement in the league as well. And you can kind of see the pieces moving um, for the next generation of star players. I mean, Luca is going to take, I think another leap soon. Um, But what do you think of in terms of the competitive balance of the league? Is there more, have, have we gone even compared to last playoffs away from competitive balance in the league? 
You know, honestly, I think a lot depends on the Nets. And obviously, I'm biased here. I might be drinking Kool-Aid. Maybe I had seconds or thirds. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think this is just kind of a situation where, you know, maybe there is the Nets that are their best team. But I don't think the Lakers are as clear-cut favorites because I think there's more questions. Obviously, it's a new team coming together. How is Russell Westbrook really going to fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis? And then mm-hmm. they're depending on a lot of one-way players. And I'm not trying to just throw shade at the Lakers or anything like that. But you're looking at a guy like Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn, mostly offensive-minded. And you have a guy like Trevor Ariza up there in age. Now he just dealt with an injury like Carmelo Anthony, who's always kind of been an offensive minded player. I mean, the Lakers won a championship. You know, they're probably the best defense in the league, if not, you know, top three. And I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. They were just completely dominant on that end of the floor. And they also had shooters to kind of spread the floor that were a little bit more consistent than what they have. So I think the thing that sucks for the West, to be honest, is that Kawhi is hurt. Jamal Murray is hurt because if those two players weren't hurt, I think you're talking about, you know, there's three or four teams at the top. And like you said, you know, Matt, maybe Clay's healthy and the Warriors can kind of pop off a little bit. I, I, a guy I'm keeping an eye on for the Warriors is Otto Porter. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, but a really talented basketball player. If he's able to kind of get on the floor, gives them some much needed shooting along the side of Steph Curry. So the Warriors could kind of be another team that you're looking at. You know, the Mavs are not an easy out just because Luka is that type of player where he's just kind of forced you to really win the series. And I don't want to be disrespectful of Phoenix either. Like, you know, obviously I thought their title run or run to the finals was a little bit easy given some of the injuries. But at the end of the day, there's some good players in that team. And they also have some really good role players. And they just play a style of basketball that's hard to defend because their ability to spread the floor and then have a real presence like DeAndre Ayton in the paint. And then also, obviously, Chris Paul running the show. I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Paul takes a couple steps back this year just given age and maybe they just try to get his minutes down, but still can be a really good player from the bench. So, Nick, as a Brooklyn Nets fan in the Eastern Conference specifically, who do you think is kind of a roadblock that the media is not really paying attention to besides like the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously they're going to be in contention, but are there any other teams that you're concerned? You're like, man, this, this team could be a problem. I'm, I don't think this way, but I've heard conflicting opinions, something like the Miami heat. I've heard either they're going to be horrible or they're going to be a surprise in terms of their new additions with Kyle Lowry and just their other additions they've made during the off season. So are there any other teams that you're concerned about, or do you think the Nets are just going to steamroll through every team in the East? Yeah, I think, like you said, I think the Bucks are really the team that comes to mind just because Giannis is a dominant player. They have good defenders. They have some good role players. I do think the loss of P.J. Tucker in a series against the Nets could have some implication just because not that P.J. Tucker was able to slow down Kevin Durant really in any way. It was either like he got called for the fouls in Brooklyn or he didn't get called for them in Milwaukee type of thing. And he just kind of was an annoyance the entire game. But that kind of, you know, fatigues you through seven games. But I would say with the Miami Heat, I'm pretty confident that's beating them in the series. They're just going to be like extremely annoying. Like they're probably going to be one of the most annoying teams in the NBA, just given Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, you know, PJ Tucker, just guys that really grind you talk a lot of shit on the court. Like they're just going to be a team that's not fun to play, but you should be able to beat them. If you execute, I think Philadelphia, you still have to give them some credit just because Joel Embiid is probably the biggest mismatch for the nets out of, you know, any player in the league, just given his pure physical dominance. But their questions with Ben Simmons and things like that kind of don't make them as scary. I think Boston's maybe getting slept on a touch just because I think Jason Tatum's going to be better. Jalen Brown's going to be back healthy. Al Horford's going to give them a reliable, you know, big presence. They got Dennis Schroeder for the real cheap, cheap. So like 
there's some teams in the East. I, I don't think the Nets are necessarily going to steamroll them unless they're fully healthy and kind of hitting on all cylinders. But there'll be, you know, teams that can win a game or two in a playoff series where the real competition probably just being Milwaukee, though. And I'll shout out Atlanta. I, I feel like uh, I forgot about them. You know, Trey Young would definitely be another guy that's annoying to play in a playoff series. Interested to see how the new rules impact his game, though. Yeah, totally. And it's his ascension, too, because kind of the secret's out now. So, yeah. and he's cocky. So, yeah. he's going to be made to be he's gonna get a, hit with a couple hard fouls, I think. He... I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. I've, I've wanted, well, and I, I just wanted to emphasize I think you make a great point about the Celtics because they were also the team that was hit the hardest yep. by the COVID stuff uh, last year. And, and I think we can't discount that as well. Um, so, a pretty, pretty smart sleeper pick uh, in the East there. And they have, uh, sorry to cut you off, Matt. Yeah, and they also have a real team. Like last year, they had a yeah. lot of players that were just not NBA rotation players. You know, they were first round picks that didn't develop all the way, second round picks or whatever you might be. You mentioned the COVID stuff, not having practice for those guys. I think Brad Stevens now taking over for Danny Ainge, who I think Danny Ainge was kind of a little overhyped because of that KG and Paul Pierce trade. Maybe that's just my bias talking. But I think Brad Stevens has come in and has really gotten some good pieces for this roster to help you know, allow Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to flourish instead of like last year, it just felt like, yo, these guys need to score 30 each or they're not going to win a game. Yeah. And they, they didn't really have like a veteran enforcer kind of guy. Like, yep. I think they really miss Daniel Tice. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that, that was a weird we would have thought that. Yeah. Yeah. But Al Horford certainly, I mean, brings in a lot of pedigree uh, in that veteran role. Uh, I wanted to ask you with, the nets looking forward like kind of looking into your crystal ball we know that the relationship between katie and kyrie is rock solid as you mentioned earlier i think great evidence of that if you just go and like look up the quotes of kevin durant talking about kyrie irving yep. even through this situation where maybe he strongly disagrees with him or i i think like you said i mean katie just seems to 100% care about winning and that's that's about it uh but even with that still very respectful of kyrie so my question is we we see these teams, I mean, like the Warriors had, even though they were insane, they had like a five-year window. Yep. Where do you see the Nets window as being? And do you see KD retiring with this team? Yeah, I think their window kind of depends on the extensions coming up, but they have KD extended for the next couple of years. And until he's done, I think that's when the window officially ends because I think he'll age gracefully given his game. We're talking about a guy who came off a torn Achilles and had, you know, a career year, arguably his maybe his most efficient shooting season ever, which is kind of crazy talking about a guy who won MVP, played for the Warriors and all these things. So I feel pretty confident in how he'll age in terms of that. And I think Sean Marks does a nice job of kind of finding talent in different places. So I really think, you know, you know, until uh, KD either retires with the Nets or decides to go to another team, I think they'll be in some type of contention window. I'm not sure if it's going to be this level of contention. You know, going to the season being a favorite is huge in, in difference of like, okay, we're one of the top five teams. You know, maybe if someone sprains an ankle like we saw with Kyrie Irving last year, a team like the Bucks can win a championship or something along those lines. So it, there's different levels of title contention. I think they can maintain that probably for a good four to five years if everything kind of works out and guys are able to maintain their health. I do think KD will retire a net. And I think if everything goes smoothly and they win a championship this year, I wouldn't be surprised if James Harden did too, just given they want to play together. They really like each other. 
And like I mentioned, they life in Brooklyn as a player, I think is really easy in comparison to other places. They just try to simplify everything for you and kind of put you at the top of the board. You're the number one priority in the situation. So, I mean, ideally all three would retire a net and I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility. I just think there's major question marks right now with Kyrie Irving and also how ownership probably feels about Kyrie considering Joe size spending a ton of money on the yeah. luxury tax and going all in. It's like, all right, man, like, come on, it's, it's not that serious. And he's, you know, in the healthcare field, you know, one of his businesses does, and he did a lot of things with COVID and trying to make sure, you know, New York city was okay doing a lot of things around the world. So I think that has something correlated to Kyrie, but I think Kevin Durant really likes what he's doing in Brooklyn. Obviously he's got a lot of things going on in New York and James Harden's been not far behind in terms of like adding more business ventures in New York and kind of having other big moves related to New York city. So I, I'm pretty confident KD's going to be here and has a real chance to retire in that. And I'd say the same thing with James Harden. And there's a real possibility for Kyrie too. Nick, I want to ask you about the league celebrating its 75th anniversary. Um, Matt and I are about the same age. And I think he would agree with me just remembering, I think it was, was it, I think the NBA finals where they did the top 50 players was it against the Utah jazz. I don't, if I'm mistaken, somebody correct me in the comments, but I'm pretty sure it was one of the NBA finals that brought out all the greatest 50 I'm players. Sure that's right. Yeah. Um, are, is there anything that you're looking forward to for the league to kind of celebrate that 75th anniversary or any different ideas you're, you're looking at for this season? I know the commercial came out online on Twitter, just about um, NBA lane. That was pretty cool with Michael B. Jordan and all the NBA superstars. One thing I noticed, no Jordan was in there. Yeah. I found that interesting, but not the, you know, arguably the goat. But I just figure that was an interesting omission. But what do you think the league should do to celebrate its anniversary? Yeah, I love the commercial just to kick things off. I thought that was really great. Involves a lot of different guys, you know, old and new and young sure. and different things. I love the part where Zion ripped the rim down. That was, <laughs> that was cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. So, I mean, I think just continuing to do things along those lines, you know, having different events, you know, tying the older generation to the newer generation and just, you know, put on a real crazy show at All-Star Weekend. You know, obviously last year we were limited because of COVID. I think there's a lot more things they can do and just utilize the different elements of social media to introduce some of the older generation players to the newer fans. You know, like, you know, people like teenagers that are watching the game. They've done a lot of stuff in the past. Like last year, they had the Marvel broadcast trying to attract kids and different things and trying to build up that youth viewership. And obviously it's a little harder to get people to watch full games. So I think utilizing social media with that 75th anniversary, just doing different things and getting really creative and just, you know, showcasing personalities of these NBA players because a lot of them are just awesome and fun to listen to. Matt, did you have any more questions for Nick? I think I'm set for today, man. We covered a lot of ground, Nick. I, I really appreciate your perspective. And I definitely want to check in with you again on the Nets as, as we go further down the season. Uh, please let our listeners know where they can find you guys. You guys have to check out Brooklyn Buzz. I mean, I'm already I'm, I'm spoiling your, your plug here. But uh, <laughs> seriously, if you guys want to keep up with the Nets this year, check out Brooklyn Buzz. Please, Nick, tell us where we can find you and listen to you. Yeah, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, check out the OTG Podcast Network. Hoopsology's on there. A lot of other great podcasts as well. In terms of you're looking for Nets content on the daily, especially during game nights, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick underscore Faye underscore. Um, typically put, try to put out some clips, just kind of stay in tune with the game and give out different thoughts. But really check out the buzz. Do that with my co-host, Jack Manuel. We've been grind and putting out a lot of content like these guys. So just, you know, if you're looking for net stuff, I'm your guy. <laughs>
Well, Nick, we appreciate you not only uh, coming on to the show, but uh, giving us kind of our our first podcast network home. Uh, we really enjoy just uh, chopping it up with the other OTG guys. So it's, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, well, you guys earned it. You guys have been doing an excellent job. And like I said, I'm happy to be part of the guest list. <laughs> appreciate it, Nick. We'll check in with you uh, later in the season to see uh, what's going on with the Nets. Hopefully Kyrie's back. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Take care. Appreciate it, Nick. Thanks.